need this. Um, people tell me I've got a big enough mouth as it is. Um, okay, so this morning we are going to carry on with our sermon series on Romans. And uh, I've drawn Romans 11. Now, you know, I could have had Romans 12, grace, living sacrifice, but no, I've got Romans 11, eternal salvation and the future of Israel. So, uh, you know, this could be a while. So please just make yourself comfortable. Don't go to sleep, but make yourself comfortable. Um, No, it's been a great morning so far. And as I'm going through Romans 11, I would like you just to just to bear in mind the words that have already come. And, uh, and what's, what God has already said through us, and I mean, I can't repeat all of them, but, you know, we are beautiful in God's sight. Yeah, we are perfect in God's sight. God loves us to bits. We are not good enough, but God is. We're not good enough, but God is. And like those dry stones that are made into a wall, it is our imperfections that actually... Is, is, is what God uses to really pull us together. So just keep those in mind as I'm, as I'm going through. But yeah, since February we've been going through Romans. We've now reached Romans 11. And uh, it's worth knowing just at the outset when I'm talking about Romans 11 that uh, remember this is a letter that Paul has written. He's written to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome is made up of Gentiles who have become believers and Jews who have become believers. And just on the terminology, an Israelite in this passage is talking about someone of the nation of Israel, i.e. a Jew. And, uh, and, and a Gentile is someone who is not a Jew. But Paul also uses the word Greek, and he's referring to someone who obviously comes from Greece, who generally speaking would not have been a Jew unless they had converted to Judaism. So we've got Israelites and Jews, We've got Gentiles and believers. We've got uh, Greeks, who are Gentiles, but also believers in in the sense of the letter. And then just to really make it a little bit more complicated, we've got Jews who have converted to Christianity, who are called Jewish Christians, who, uh, you know, they still held to the traditions of, of Judaism, still kept the calendar and the feasts and festivals, but they also acknowledge that Jesus Christ was Lord, that he was raised from the dead, and that he was the promised Messiah who had been prophesied about all those years before. So we've got a, a, a range of different people here. And when Paul is talking in Romans, he's very much comparing the Jewish people, the Israelites, who are not believers, with believers. Okay? Just to say, as I've already alluded You know, this passage is not an easy passage to look at. Um, There are some quite meaty stuff in here. And, and, you know, as I've been doing some research on this, and as I've been looking at commentaries and what other people have uh, have written about this, generally what I find is that no one really agrees. (laughs) There is difference of opinion, difference of interpretation in terms of what these passages are saying. Especially when it comes to the olive tree, which is the bit in the middle where I'll spend most of the time, and the whole grafting in and cutting off and, and so on. And different theologians have different opinions as to what this is actually talking about. So I'm going to do my best to, to, to give you um, kind of what I think. I'm going to talk a little bit about what some of the other people think. But ultimately, what we need to do is we need to take it all to God in prayer and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? 
Let's not get hung up on theology. But what are you saying to me in this passage at this point in time on this Sunday morning? If we look back at, uh, at what we've seen so far. So um, a few weeks ago, Ali came and Ali spoke on Romans 9 and Romans 10. And some of the things that came out from there, the Gentiles, in Romans 9 verse 30, it says, the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, but they attained it by faith. And this was very much in contrast to the people of Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but were unable to succeed in reaching the standard of the law. It is by faith that we are saved. It is by faith that we can have relationship with God. Works alone don't work. It is by faith. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And there's a whole question there, thank you. And there's a whole question there about what it means to be saved. Okay, but, you know, come into his kingdom. Come into the inheritance that he has for us. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. In terms of this, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The Lord is Lord of all. And so a Jew, if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. A Gentile, if they confess with their mouth, as we have done, we will be saved. There is no distinction. It's not like one and the other. And then finally, because of the Lord's love for Israel and his covenant, he has still not given up on them, but has shown his love to us as a challenge to them. When you read the, the book of Acts and you, you read about Paul and his journeys, he first of all would go to the Jews, to the temple. He would preach to them. And then if they didn't accept the message, he would go to the Gentiles. And what Romans is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is God is using the Gentiles as a challenge to the Israel people, the Jewish people. Because God still loves them. Even though they've rejected, even though, as Jesus said, they've killed the prophets, even though they turned their back on God, God still loves them. And God loves us. Just as a final point on that bit, when we're talking about Gentile and Jew and how the Lord is the Lord of them all and that there's no real difference between them. Later on, I'm going to talk about this olive tree. And it talks in, the olive, in, in that part of the passage, it says about a cultivated olive tree and a wild olive branch which is grafted in. We are all the same. Abraham himself was a Gentile but the Jewish people came from his descendants. Okay? And we are saved, as that says up there, we're saved by faith. So that's by way of introduction. As we go into uh, the passage, we're going to see um, in verses 1 to 5 that Paul says, Has God rejected Israel? 
Now, this is something that people have debated for years. You know, is it, have the Israelites blown it? Have they lost it? Has it gone? You know, is it now purely Gentiles who can believe us? And Paul is quite clear. He says, by no means. Paul himself was a Jew. He says in Romans uh, 11 verses 1 to 5, he says, and he compares the current state of affairs with regard to Jewish people with Elijah's day. Now, I don't know whether you remember the story, but in Elijah's day, Elijah had gone, he had defeated, um, through the power of God, he defeated the prophets of Baal. He then ran away and he hid in a cave and he said to God, I am the only one left. They have killed all your prophets. I am the only one remaining. And God said to him, no, because I have saved 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee who have not confessed Baal. And so Paul says here in Romans, that amongst the Jewish people at that time, there was a remnant, I like that word, it was a remnant that was chosen by grace. Not because of what they did, not because of who they were, not because of their status in life, not because they had all this money or no money. They were chosen by grace. The grace of God saves. Have you noticed that sometimes it's the uh, seemingly unimportant, the seemingly insignificant things that God uses? Which is why I like that word remnant. Abraham was a, he was a nomadic bloke. You know, he, he walked about, he moved about, he, you know, his sheep grazed where he stopped. He was a man of no real significance. But God called him and used him and made him the father of nations. Gideon, he was threshing wheat in the wine press to hide because he was so afraid of the enemies. God used him to save the nation. David, the smallest, the youngest in his family, the runt of the litter, shall we say. God raised him up to be the king over the whole of Israel. The disciples... Fishermen, tax collectors, many of whom would have been uneducated, many of whom would have lived in relative poverty, changed the world. And then there's you and me. As 1 Corinthians says, not many of us, make sure I say it right, not many of us were of noble birth. Not many of us were wealthy. Not many of us were wise. But God used us. The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even that which is not, to bring to nothing things that are. God uses us. Do not discount yourself because you might feel I'm insignificant. Do not discount yourself because you might feel no one notices me. Do not, do not discount yourself because you feel, well, I just come and then I go. You're part of God's family and God can use you just as much as me as Sally, as Ian, as anyone. Do not discount yourself.
As we move on into verses 11 to 24 of this passage, and this is the bit where, like I say, I'm going to spend most of my time, because this is the bit where we're talking about the olive tree and people being grafted in and grafted out and so on and so forth. Um, Verse 11 and 12 says, So I ask, did they, the Jewish people, the Israelites, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Again, because of their turning their back, salvation has come to us. We should be praying for the Israelites. We should be praying for the nation of Israel. We should be praying for our Jewish friends and neighbours, if we've got any. You know, there's a huge Jewish community up in Newcastle. I believe it's the largest one outside of Israel itself. We should be praying for them. They've been looking for a Messiah that has come. We should be praying that they see him, just like we have. But notice the word in there. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? There is a world of difference between stumbling and falling. They have stumbled, but they haven't fell. It's not a permanent thing. God has not written them off. They have stumbled so that we might find life with God. But they haven't fallen. And I'm going to come back to that. Later on. Verse 17 says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. The cultivated olive tree that Paul is referring to were the Israelites, the, 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 the Jewish people. And we as Gentiles... We've been grafted in. We've been adopted into his family. But what Paul is saying there is, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't be proud. Yes, some people seem to have been cut off. Some people have been broken off. And we, by God's grace, have been grafted in. But let's remember that it comes from God's grace. It is not something that we have done. It is not something over which we should be proud We have been grafted in purely by God's grace. God's covenant is with Abraham and his descendants, which in the natural sense would seem to be the Israelites. And yet, Galatians 3 is very clear. When Paul is writing the letter to the Galatians, he says, Know know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And later he says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Again, by faith, we are Abraham's descendants, living in a covenant relationship with the Father, and we are heirs of the promise with Abraham. We have been grafted in by faith, by the grace of God. However, most of us sitting here now, and not Jews. So let's remember that last bit there. Let's not be arrogant towards the branches. Because it is not us who support the root. It is the root that supports us. And the root is Jesus. It is not us that supports Jesus. Jesus supports us. We've been grafted in because of our faith, but our faith, even our faith, is a gift from God. 
We did not choose him, but he chose us before the foundation of the world. So that through us, his light could shine to a lost and dying world. We've been grafted in, yes, by faith, yes. But even that faith is a gift from God. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. (laughs) John, do you want to take over at this point? (laughs) Taken at face value, these verses would imply that it is possible to lose your salvation. Seems to be what it's saying. I want to say, categorically, sitting here, standing here, right now, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot leave it behind. You cannot misplace it. You cannot leave it on the train. You can't even lose your salvation because you have done something wrong. God's grace is so much greater than that. However, as with the Jews, as with the Israelites, this could be implying that you can walk away. This could be implying that it is possible to turn your back on Jesus, to deny him, to say, I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I no longer believe that he raised from the dead. I no longer believe that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The Israelites were broken off because of their unbelief. To live in unbelief is a choice. However, to those who believed were given eternal life. We need to remain in in an attitude of belief, in an attitude of faith, in an attitude of humility in an attitude where we are not proud. Because at the end of the day, our faith was a gift from God in the first place. We haven't done anything to deserve it. But this passage seems to be quite clear, and it seems to be saying that it is possible to be cut off. Let's look at that in a little bit more detail. First of all, I want to remind you, you cannot lose your salvation because of a mistake. You cannot lose your salvation because you have sinned. I sin. Even Sally does things wrong. And I know that's going to be hard for you to believe. But even Sally sins. Okay? But we've not lost our salvation. We are saved. God's grace goes beyond. I was watching something the other day. Um, it was a program on Netflix. And, uh, and, and it said... I can't remember the exact wording, but it said, you know, we do what we can, but God carries us over the line by his grace. You know, I, I try to live a good life, but I will sin, I will make mistakes, I will get it wrong. 
but God's grace makes up the difference. I cannot lose my salvation because I have sinned. God's grace is bigger than that. Okay? However, if we move from a place of faith and belief into a state of pride and unbelief, then maybe we find ourselves being cut off. Let's look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 13 says, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we break this down, we've got, first of all, if we have died with him and if we endure. So if we are dead to the world, if we die with Christ, And if we endure in that place, we will live with him. We will reign with him. That is the attitude we need to have. It's quite, you know, if we die and endure, we will live and reign. However, if we deny him, if we are faithless, what that saying is, he will deny us the opportunity to live with him and to reign with him. They go together. And I want to say at this point, and I did have to talk to Thomas about this, um, the word deny and faithless. I I was off school on the day they did grammar. Uh, It's not like nowadays where you've got your pre-fronted adverbials or whatever they are. Um, You know, we we didn't do grammar at school. And uh, so I, I have no idea what a verb is, what an adverb is, what an adjective. I mean, I know me vowels are consonants, but that's because I used to watch Countdown and, uh, you know, Carol Vorderman used to lift them up. Um, but that's about it. So, so I, I did have to go to Thomas and ask him. But uh, apparently, deny and faith, faithless, being faithless, these are verbs. Yes? <sighs> right, okay. I'll carry on anyway. Keep, keep with me. Keep with me. All right? They are action words, right? And uh, it could even be called an action verb. Um, Anyway, they are a choice. If we deny, we are choosing to turn our back on the grace of God. If we are faithless, we are choosing to turn our back on the grace of God. We are choosing not to be faithful to God, not to be faithful to his promise, not to be faithful to what he has called us to. We are making a choice. And this is the distinction. And as we do the freedom in Christ, where's Richard and Sheila? Yeah, Richard. So as we do the freedom in Christ, this comes up and people wrestle with this. People, there are people who have been on the freedom in Christ course. And uh, and there have been times, even myself, where I have worried, am I saved? Am I living in God's kingdom? Am I part of God's family? I've done this sin. I've done that. I've done the other. Surely God no longer loves me. That is a lie. You are saved by grace and God's grace cancels out all sin. And we need to stay in a place of, of, of attitude of heart where we have died with him, where we endure because then we will live and we will reign. And let's never fall into the trap of denying or being faithless. Let's never turn our back on what Jesus has done for us. But even then, even with all of that, 
God's grace is amazing because of that bit. And yet, I'm, I'm not keen on the way it's laid out in, in, in my version of the Bible, because it, it kind of joins it all together. But he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And there are people sitting in this room who at times in their life have turned their back on God, who have walked away, who have said, I no longer believe. And they have felt the pursuit of the Holy Spirit and they've felt the pursuit of the Lord coming after them saying, but I have not given up on you. I have not left you. You may have turned your back on me, but I have not turned my back on you. And I will pursue you until the last. The grace of God is amazing. The grace of God is fantastic. So yeah, on the face of it, what these passages are saying is if we turn our back, we may find ourselves being removed from the branches, being removed from the vine. Let's therefore stay in a state of humility. Let's stay in a state of prayer. Let's stay in that position of keeping Jesus as the forefront of our thinking. Because he is faithful. Because he loves us. Because it is through his grace and his mercy that we are saved. Just on that, let's think a little bit about this turning our back. One of the things that, uh, that the scripture is talking about here is about pride. Okay? And I just want to draw a little bit out on that. If we slip into pride, that's where the problem comes from. So let me give you an example. In our workplace, in our job, if we do well, we rise the ladder of success, the career ladder, which is a good thing. If we do well, we rise that career ladder. It could become easy to say, haven't I done well? I have succeeded. Look at what I am earning. And what that can lead to is take us out of that humility and out of that, it's due to the grace of God, and put us into a position of fear where we then naturally start to fear, well, what if it goes? What if I lose it? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my income? What will happen next? And again, this is something that, that people address often through the Freedom in Christ course. What they find is that, that, through, the, that through the day, uh, the steps day, and through the course itself, people often find um, that, that you know, they've, they've, they've let other things come in. They've let that pride come in. And actually, we need to remember that everything is a gift from God. Everything comes from Him. We need to seek first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. We need to seek first the kingdom. We need to be in that position of humility. We need to put God's kingdom first in our time, in how we use our leisure time, how we use our resources, our money, all of that. Let's put the kingdom of God first because that will keep us humble. That will keep us seeking him and not allow pride to come in. But interestingly... Um, even in our Christian walk, it is possible for pride to come in. We could say, I could go home from here and I could say, well, didn't I do well? 
you might be thinking something completely different at the moment, but, you know, hey, we, we won't go there. I could go home thinking, well, oh, didn't I do well? And, uh, oh, I haven't sinned today, and oh, I've kept my heart focused on Jesus. Um, yeah, I've, I've had good thoughts. I've not fallen into sin. And do you notice how many times in there I've used the word I? What we should be doing is coming to God and saying, God, thank you that you have helped me keep my mind right. Thank you, God, that you have helped me get through this day without sin. Thank you, God, that you have helped me to get into your Bible, get into your Word, to spend time in prayer. Because that will keep us humble. Let's not slip into pride. Let's really guard against that. Because in Scriptures, it comes out so strongly that it is pride that causes us to have the problems in our walk with God. After all, when Satan fell, it was because he's pride. He wanted to be God. And as a result, he was cast out. So let's remember, we need to be humble before God. Everything comes from him. Everything is his. And all we are is, is just the, the potter and the clay. We're the clay. But because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love for us, we share in the inheritance of Jesus. We share in eternal life with him. That, to me, is amazing. But it's all because of him. Just to finish off on this little bit, what about people who perhaps deny at the point of a gun? We hear of atrocities around the world. We hear in the Middle East, you've got the Islamic States and all this, that and the other. And we've heard of atrocities where they have literally held a gun to a Christian's head and said, deny Jesus. I would hope that were that ever to happen to me, I would be strong. But you know what? God is faithful and God's grace will see even beyond that. Because they haven't, action, they, they haven't made a choice. They've done it at the point of a gun. And I believe that God's grace goes beyond that fall. I believe God's grace is bigger than that. And God will look at that and say, okay, yeah, okay, you denied me, but you did it at the point of a gun. My love is bigger than that. My grace is bigger than that. And when they do eventually pass from this earthly realm into the heavens, or whatever that might look like, God will welcome them with open arms and say, I love you. So too with us. So, denying faithless is an active decision. And often it comes from pride. So can we lose our salvation? No. Can we walk away from it? Possibly. Maybe the question we should be asking ourselves this morning is not, can we lose our salvation? But are we connected into the root, which is Jesus? Maybe that is the question we should be asking ourselves when we read this passage. Maybe it's not about salvation and not about whether we can lose it. Maybe it's about, are we connected into the roots? And that, for me, would be my challenge for you this morning. You know, sitting here now, are you connected into the roots? Are you truly connected into the roots? Because that is what's going to change your life. Moving on. 
Uh, do not be confounded, but, but, but fear. I've covered that. Um, going back to the Israelites, though. What does Paul say here? He says, yeah, okay, they turned away. But God kept a remnant. Let's not forget, God kept a remnant. But even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, or even will be grafted back in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? God's grace is amazing. God's grace is phenomenal. Even the Israelites turned their back on him, but it was a temporary stumble. Because if they turn back to him, they will be grafted in. Corrie Boom in the hiding place used to call them perfected Jews. Christians who were originally Jews. Final part of the passage. Um, When Paul is talking to the Romans, he says about a partial hardening. I've already mentioned that. Partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then read what it says next. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as I've done some research on this, as I've looked at this, again, there seems to be a slight difference of opinion amongst theologians. Some say that when this is talking about Israel, it's talking about the descendants of Abraham by faith. So it's talking about all of us who are Christians. And others are saying, saying, no, this is actually talking about the Israelites themselves, the Jewish nation. You know, I like to think that this is talking about the Jewish nation. Maybe it's the romantic within me. But I like to think that at some point, revival will break out within Israel. And there will be a mass turning from Judaism to perfected Judaism. There will be a mass turning from living a life of rejecting Jesus to saying, actually, Jesus is the Messiah that we looked for. Jesus is Lord. And what I believe this part of Romans is saying is there will be a turning there will be a mass revival within the nation of Israel and within the Jewish population where they will turn back to God and they will say, okay, we may have rejected Jesus, but actually, he is Lord. He is the Messiah that was to come and we're going to follow him with all of our heart. So I believe this is a prophecy. I believe this is Paul saying what's going to happen in the future. Thank you. Final part. We come to the very end of the passage. And you know, you know what? It's funny. Paul has spent, I mean, he's in, verse, he's in chapter 11 now. So he's, when he wrote it, he didn't have chapters in. But he's written all of this stuff. 
and especially the last three bits, chapters 9, 10 and 11. And he's tried to explain all about Israel, all about grace, all about, uh, you know, kind of grafting in, grafting out, eternal salvation and so on. And what does he say? He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In other words, he's saying, you know, I still don't understand it all. Despite all that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me, despite all of my previous learning, I still don't fully understand it all, but I give it to God anyway, because God is gracious. God is loving. God is faithful. And so as I come to the end of what I'm sharing now, I don't fully understand it all. And, you know, maybe you're all confused too. Well, great. Let's join me in confusion. But what I do know is that God is loving. God is faithful. God is true to his word. And if we remain in that attitude of dying with him, of enduring through the suffering, enduring through life, we will live and reign with him forever. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? We don't fully understand it. But we can trust in God as the one who does understand it. And we can just trust in him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If the band could come back up, please. So, it's not an easy passage. There was some quite challenging stuff within it. And there's some quite, you know, hard stuff. I would encourage you to go and study it. Read it. Get a commentary out and have another look at it. But if you're sitting here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus as Lord and you're sitting there despite the complexities of this passage and despite the challenges within this passage and you're still sitting there saying actually I want to follow this God I want to follow this Jesus who is faithful and true and, 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 and just I want to follow this Jesus who loves me despite what I do and what I would ask that you pray this prayer with me now So if we can just close our eyes for a minute. Lord, I don't understand it all. But something in me is saying that you are God and that you love me. Lord, I want to know you. I want to live and reign with you as we've looked at in this passage this morning. Please forgive me when I've gone my own way and done my own thing. When I've said do not exist and when I've lived in a way that has been not right I say right here and right now that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead I ask that you fill me with your presence in Jesus name if you've prayed that prayer for the first time I'd love to have a chat with you I'll be sitting down at the front over here So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, please do come and have a chat with me. Otherwise, I'm going to hand back to the band. Have a great week. Thank you. Read Romans 11.
And then we've got a feast coming up with Romans 12. Thank you.